Coronavirus cases on the rise in Cincinnati and across Ohio, especially with young people. That's a, a remarkable spike and it's very different than what we were seeing, you know, a month or so ago when it was really spread out between pretty much every age group. Now, testing is in overdrive with sites popping up across the Queen City. We got here about um, 10.30 and there were hundreds of cars here already. The pandemic shedding light on the lack of health care access in the black community hit hard by the coronavirus. Racism permeates so many of the structures here in Hamilton County. From combating the virus to surviving it, on this edition of Let's Talk Cincy, a deeper look at the impact of COVID-19. From WLWT, this is Let's Talk Cincy, presented by Western and Southern Financial Group. Put our financial strength behind you. The coronavirus pandemic has stripped us of the independence we normally enjoy. The number of deaths and cases of deaths are staggering. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Cincy. I'm Alexis Rogers. And I'm Curtis Fuller. You know, behind the numbers is another grim reality of the fear this virus leaves in folks who've lost a friend or family member or people who have battled COVID-19. I want you to listen to one man's story. Sadly, any given day, it could be your story, or our story. You need to go to an ICU. You need to go to a COVID or, or a, a infectious disease isolation so people can really see what happens. Paul Dozier is a 46-year-old engineer. He tells me he's always been a pretty healthy guy until COVID-19 sent him to the emergency room at Mercy Fairfield Hospital. I woke up on a Saturday. I was like, let me get to the hospital. And just for me to walk from my front door to my car, I'm slumped over on my car. I can't breathe. I black out. A neighbor called 911. I woke up in the middle of the, in the ambulance. And they cut off my shirt. They basically are trying to pack me with ice because my temperature is like almost like 104, going up to 105. I actually went into the COVID ICU, and that's when they really told me the severity of where I was in. They said I had COVID with pneumonia. Um, you know, and it was looking bad. Dozier shared this video of himself while he was in the ICU. He made it for friends and family. Got me on oxygen. He remained in the ICU for a week until being released just a few days ago. You can't see anything other than hazmat suits. So you don't know the severity of the issue you're in. Only thing you know, they're protecting themselves and they're spraying themselves with this chemical every time they leave your, your room. And they're just like, trying to figure out how and why it happened so fast, knowing I was just there like maybe two days ago. Dozier is quarantined for at least 15 days. And I asked the doctor and my respiratory therapist, like how long would it take for me to test negative on one of those nasal tests? And honestly, they said, it's gonna take about four to four weeks. He still has the coronavirus. And his take on the debate about people wearing masks Put on a mask, you know, put on a mask and some gloves. Um, it's not just for you to for you to protect you, for you to protect others. Be respectful because you don't know who you come in contact with, that that might be the last time they might see a loved one. You don't know, you know, so just be responsible. Just put on a mask. Just put it on. Hmm. Well, Paul Dozier told me the physical challenge is only part of his battle. He says the mental strain is equally grueling. You know, experts say it's important for folks to reach out for help 
as they cope with COVID-19. That too can be life-saving. And Dozier also says that he's lost 20 pounds in just eight days. That's hard to imagine. Mm, yeah. And he still does not know how or where he got the virus. Fueled by the spike in the coronavirus cases, testing sites are being set up all throughout greater Cincinnati. I know you've probably seen them. Yeah, you know, I was actually at one of those and judging by the long lines, people are concerned about this surge in COVID-19. Karen Johnson takes us to one location that saw plenty of action this past week. Long before the tents were up and nasal swabs out, cars began crowding into this Forest Park lot. We got here about um, 1030. And there were hundreds of cars here already. Everybody keeps saying, hey, you're over the age. You need to get tested. By mid-afternoon, one man told us he had been waiting for three hours and had at least another hour to wait before it was his turn to be tested. The Hamilton County Health Department says the large turnout was not unexpected. Forest Park and nearby Mount Healthy are both considered hot spots. We were trying to get the site closest to the areas that were impacted. We know the governor indicated 45240 and 45231 were two of those zip codes. The nasal swab test given by members of the National Guard. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. Not the most pleasant. All right, and you're good to go. But those tested say hopefully it's worth the peace of mind. So we might as well get it done so this is the hot spot area and make sure we ain't got it. We're actually really concerned about our friends and our family and we want to be safe and we want them to be safe and protect themselves as well. Unlike some other testing sites, this one operated by the Hamilton County Health Department does not require people to pre-register. It's also not a rapid test. Results are expected to take up to 48 hours to receive. Karen Johnson, WLWT News 5. As coronavirus cases surge, the number of people hospitalized may be key to understanding the impact of this virus. University of Cincinnati doctor joins us next to explain when Let's Talk Cincy returns. In Hamilton County and the surrounding southwestern Ohio region, hospital utilization by COVID-19 positive patients reached their lowest level of this epidemic during the first and second weeks of June. However, as I mentioned earlier, the number of COVID positive patients being treated in standard hospital beds, ICU beds, and on ventilators has steadily increased. Well, there's so many questions out there about what's next, especially when it comes to hospitals and the state of our community when it comes to the coronavirus. And joining us now is Dr. Alice Andrini from UC Health. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's talk a little bit about the capacity in hospitals as we see these numbers rise. What does it look like in our local area? We had about 30 patients at any one time in the intensive care units, but now we're up to ha about 60. And um, on the regular inpatient side in the hospital, we've had over a three times increase in the number of patients hospitalized with COVID-19. At our low point in our region, we had about 50 patients at any one time, and now we're over to 175 patients. If we don't take good care to reduce the spread of coronavirus, and then subsequent COVID-19 disease, if we keep this increase in cases, 
there is a chance that we could overwhelm our hospitals, much like they saw in New York early on, and as they're seeing in Houston and other parts of Texas now. Especially when we talk about certain communities and neighborhoods, I've had so many conversations with people who say, listen, this is a public health crisis, but it's kind of exposing things that were already in our communities, especially communities of color or lower socioeconomic communities. Where do we go from here? Well, I think there's a lot that we can do. The first thing that we need to do is listen deeply, understand the needs of the community, and make sure we're there partnering with them to make sure that we're communicating in effective ways, that we're partnering with trusted groups, whether it's faith communities um, or other entities that we actually partner together to understand how to make our work effective. And you see the sense of community happening just from a person to person level. What would you say, what would be your advice for communities as they try to band together to really fight this thing the best that we can? Well, I know that people have COVID fatigue and I know people are tired of staying home. And I know that there are some people that think this virus is never going to impact me. Let's band together as a community, Cincinnati, masks on, and let's keep our community safe. Let's decrease this disease in our community because that'll just be one step faster to getting back to our new normal. Well, we thank you so much for joining us, especially for that call to action here on Let's Talk Cincy. We love to have those kitchen table conversations. And of course, I'm sure we'll check in again with you uh, in the coming months. Well, you know, Milwaukee, Wisconsin is believed to be the first city in the nation to declare racism a public health crisis. Others have followed. Here in Ohio, this week, a resolution was put forth to do the same thing in Hamilton County. I'm so proud to stand here today with my heart filled with sadness, fear, and grief, but also filled with faith, hope, and optimism for the future. Commissioner Victoria Parks outlining a resolution declaring racism a public health crisis. This is not the first municipality in the country or the state to do this. But Parks says her plan has significant steps to move the county to a more equitable place. I knew that Hamilton County could also rise to the occasion and insisted upon our declaration being meaningful. Health experts and community leaders have maintained that race matters where you live can impact access to healthy food and more. We know that we have entire communities that are comprised largely of individuals suffering from economic disadvantage. This may lead to generations of individuals burdened by less than ideal health outcomes. In other words, place can directly affect a number of factors that contribute to poor health. The resolution calls for enhanced training to identify bias and ensure respect and dignity, conduct an economic disparity study, and expand the Office of Economic Inclusion. Racism permeates so many of the structures here in Hamilton County, and this resolution will help us start to break down some of those barriers. Ethical policing is courageous. We expect our officers and all employees to intervene if they see something that another employee is doing wrong or harmful to someone else. Officers must have no fear of retaliation from peers 
supervisors, as well as administration. See something, say something. That's what we live by, that's our motto, and that is our promise to the citizens of Hamilton County. Where we stand today, it was part of an area once known as Little Africa. It was a place where both free and self-liberated Africans settled in Cincinnati. It's the reason our institution sits here in this location. But as we know from stories of Margaret Garner, Samuel Watson, Timothy Thomas, Sam DuBose, Brianna Taylor, George Floyd, and many others, when you're black, once you are to be set to be legally free, you're not truly free. No efforts have been made to create a more equitable nation, but we see they are not enough. More must be done. Overcoming systemic racism requires systemic solutions, and today is a key next step, but a big and necessary step that must be backed up with real action. When where you live impacts how long you live, we must address racism, diabetes, hypertension, many forms of cancer, obesity rates, environmental injustice, are just some of the factors that are impacted by race in our country. And so I am very proud to be a part of this conversation and this announcement about how we're gonna mo have more than just a conversation, but action to begin to dismantle the institutional and structural components that contribute to the disparity in our health. Well, the vote comes the week of July 13th on that issue. And this pandemic is hitting families hard, including Victoria Parks. She shares her personal story when Let's Talk Cincy returns. Well, this next story is a reminder of how COVID-19 has devastated so many families. Hamilton County Commissioner Victoria Park shares some, some personal thoughts with me, which serve really as a wake-up call about the reality of this deadly virus. Yes, yes it is. This pandemic is real and it's frightening. We have to take it seriously. And um, early on, my brother was infected and it was, it was just terrifying for us. Um, we, we're blessed that he has good insurance and he was taken care of, but he spent time on a ventilator and he has recovered. He's 80 years old and he's just as healthy as a horse. However, there are other relatives, um, my relatives in Detroit, we suffered three deaths from COVID-19. They were all nurses um, and, and, and it just hit them. Um, and even more hospitalized? Yes, yes, they, they, um, so there were three that worked in the hospital and the grandmother uh, who they went to see and uh, she fell sick. Um, and then two of her children um, passed away from this um, infection. And so it's, We, we are in crises, you know, not only racism, but this pandemic, you know, with each new day, we have a new opportunity. See, Curtis, we can't argue with history. We really can't even change history. The only thing that we can do 
is learn from our mistakes, fix what was wrong, and, and move forward. Wow, move forward. She remains optimistic despite uh, that very tragic situation in her own family. Powerful. Yeah. Powerful. Yeah. Cincinnati parents now know the plan for school this fall. Public school leaders are splitting the difference between at-home learning and getting your kids in the classroom. This blended two-day, three-day schedule would see students learning in class two days a week, then at home three days. The following week, it would be three days in class, two days back at home. Students would be divided into two groups, and when one group has its days in class, learning days, the other group would be at home. Superintendent Laura Mitchell says she understands the blended model will make it a little difficult for parents. We will also be working with our parents to identify childcare that many of our families may need as a result of students being in school two to three days a week. The superintendent said the district is trying to balance health and safety while, of course, continuing to teach your students. The decision by CPS is creating some challenges for parents out there. They're trying to figure out the best way for their children to learn. In the blended school environment, Ashley Kirkland introduces us to one family facing this challenge and the group lending parents a hand. Because I understand the difficulty of the decision that was made, but at the same time, like, how much did you consider parents of younger children? Ayanna Goddard is a mom of a junior at Walnut Hills High School. She's worried about Cincinnati Public's plan for blended learning for the district's 35,000 students come fall. Goddard is currently furloughed and says helping Darius won't be an issue. Her main concern is her son's ability to develop socially. With my son, he's more of an introvert. So school was where he was able to be social. And now you're taking that part too. So I'm like, how is this going to affect his psyche? For many parents, childcare is a real concern. We've heard from uh, several parents uh, who have multiple kids um, in, in multiple districts, multiple schools, multiple grade levels. And uh, that is something that they are definitely concerned about, how they're going to navigate that. Tyran Stallings runs the Dad Initiative. And during this pandemic, the organization's focus has been to help parents and students through the remote learning process. When it comes to child care, Stalling says they've encouraged parents to collaborate to educate and provide child care for one another. We're having workshops with parents right now to help them kind of make sense of everything that's happening with uh, with COVID and the changing in uh, schooling. Uh, and, you know, just depending on the parent's situation, you hear different things. Now, the Dad Initiative is offering free tutoring for the kids during the duration of the summer. They've been working hard. Yeah, they have. And <laughs> I'm, I'm told every day between 12 and 3, there are multiple tutors available for absolutely no charge, which is great. So make sure you are taking advantage of that. Well, when Let's Talk Cincy returns, we have another personal story of battling COVID-19. Mom will share a message that she hopes everyone will listen to. You know, we have been living in this pandemic for months now, and toward the beginning, we introduced you to a young 
wife and mother who lives in Colerain while she was in the midst of her battle with this virus. She let us in on how difficult that fight was. And she has so much patience and now a lot of caution as she got better. We checked in with her again to understand what life is like after having the virus and her message to those who haven't had it. When we first met Shanae Hamilton, she was in one of the toughest positions in her life. People are dying out here. People are sick. I'm one of them. Months later, Hamilton is in a much better space, but is extremely cautious. For me to feel all the way better, it took probably about 20 days. Yeah, about 20 days. The proud salon owner, wife to a Cincinnati police officer, mother of three, says the virus changed her family's way of life. She still hasn't reopened her salon. As we speak, I have four cousins who have it. My sister has it. I have clients who have it. There's so many people around me who have it. I'm just scared to, I don't feel safe completely opening back up right now. So right now I'm still on lockdown <laughs> until I feel safe enough to allow my clients to come in and for me to go in. So right now we on pause. Like many parents, the impact of the coronavirus left Hamilton with some pretty tough decisions to make. So I try to take every precautionary measure out there just to protect myself and protect my kids. I don't let them go anywhere. And of course, the oldest one, my son, he's 11. He's like, why? <laughs> I don't have a life. And I'm like, listen, I'm giving you life. That's why you're in the house. And then, of course, we have school coming up in his school. He's actually with Northwest Local. They've decided to let us choose whether or not our child comes back this upcoming school year or if they do remotely from home. I chose from home and he, he's so upset. He's so upset about that. But I'm like, I'm trying to keep you safe. Like, do you want to go through what mommy went through? You don't. So let's just do it from here until this stuff calms down because the numbers are not getting lower. Hamilton says it's upsetting to see people not doing all that they can to stay safe. It's like, how can you not take it serious? It seems like so many, everybody wants to be a conspiracy theorist. Like, oh, it's not real. They planted this, they got actors. I'm like, I'm not an actor, y'all know me. <laughs> like y'all actually know me here in the city and y'all see me basically on my deathbed. It's like, is that not proof enough for you that this is very real, it's very serious. And the thing that I don't like is a lot of people have the misconception that you have to be ill, previously ill, in order to contract the virus. And it's not true at all. I'm a healthy woman. And the people that I know who have gotten it are all mostly healthy people. So nobody's exempt. No one is exempt. And, you know, the stories that we've shared today, that's proof that no one is exempt. Yes. Yeah. Very honest conversation. Absolutely. Well, thanks for joining us for this edition of Let's Talk Sensi. We want to hear from you. Email us all of your ideas at LTC at WLWT.com. You can also see full episodes right there online. Remember to stay encouraged.